In the name of Jesus. The text for our consideration today is from Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 28. And it is about Jesus uh, performing an exorcism. He's casting out a demon from a mute man. This demon made him mute. And the Pharisees, when they see this, they say, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. So they attribute the power to do this to the devil. And then Jesus gives a very long response. Uh, This text is about 14, 15 verses total. I'm only going to focus on four of those verses of the response of Jesus. And I'm going to go through this verse by verse. This is what you would call an expository sermon. Just going through each verse uh, and what it means. So starting at verse 24, it says, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person. The unclean spirit is a demon. That's another name for it. And Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, That everyone was born with an unclean spirit. Every single person. This is what Ephesians chapter 2 says. You were, you were, no longer, but you were at one point dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. That is the devil. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So that every single human being is born with an unclean spirit in this way. The the, the main takeaway is that all are born subject to the devil with an unclean spirit, that is with a demon. But for those who have been baptized, That unclean spirit has been driven out. It has been driven out of you. If you recall to the baptism we just had uh, maybe a month and a half ago, two months ago, in the baptismal rite, there's a part in the service where the pastor uh, goes near to the baby and then he says these words. He says, depart unclean spirit, make room for the Holy Spirit. He's talking to the baby there. This is what we would call an exorcism. In the past 365 days, we've cast out around four of these unclean spirits from babies who were brought to the font, babies who were brought to church, and the Word of God cast them out in baptism. Baptism is not only the exorcism of an unclean spirit from a person, but it is also, at the same time, an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So that as the unclean spirit leaves, he departs. Well, then the Holy Spirit comes and dwells with you. This is a beautiful thing. John chapter 14 says, uh, Jesus says these words. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. So that your body then becomes a home uh, for the Lord. Now, the problem is this. The unclean spirit hates this. Uh, He's in great discomfort. He's in great pain. He wants to return after he has been cast out of you. And the rest of the verse, it continues in verse 24, says, "This, This unclean spirit passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, 
it says, I will return to my house from which I came. The house here is you. Jesus is using this sort of language. But this house is you, your body. And the waterless places that this, this unclean spirit is going through, uh, it, it's like a, like a desert. It, being out of your body is like being in a desert, uh, being thirsty in the wilderness, having nothing around, no AC, not, no, nothing of comfort. But he is at home in your flesh. <clears throat> and then it says, uh, he will re- uh, the, the unclean spirit says, I will return to my house. That is your body. And then verse 25 says this, And when it comes, this unclean spirit comes and finds the house swept and put in order. Um, I'll pause there. This is actually quite confusing at first and a little unclear. But in Matthew's account, we understand what this means, that the house is swept and put in order. In Matthew's account, he says, When it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. So think about it. The only time your house is truly clean is when you're not living there anymore. <laughs> when you're about to sell it, you clean it and nobody's there to mess it up. Okay, well, this is what's happening. that The house, the body, the soul, the heart of the person is swept and put in order. Nobody's living there. Okay? So here's the image you have to have in mind. You have an unclean spirit uh, that is in the house. Then he is kicked out. He's evicted by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is dwelling in this house. And then the Holy Spirit is kicked out. He's kicked out of this house, not by an unclean spirit, but by the house or by the one who owns the house, the person. And so uh, you have this problem where the body was, uh, there was an unclean spirit residing in the body, and then the Holy Spirit was residing in the body, and now it is vacant, it is empty. This evicting of the Holy Spirit is what we would say is believing in the Word of God for a time, and then falling away from it. It is repenting for a moment in time, and then falling into impenitence and no longer repenting. It is hearing the word of God, but not keeping it. Uh, And this is a problem. In the offertory uh, that we sing after the sermon, Psalm 51, we say these words. We sing, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me me. In other words, don't abandon me. Don't leave me alone. What this means is, is look, you, you can't invite, <clears throat> you can't invite the Holy Spirit to come in. He simply comes. It's his decision. He chooses. He, he, before you can make a decision, the Lord has made a decision for you. He comes and dwells in your flesh. He kicked out the unclean spirit. However, although, even though you cannot invite the Holy Spirit to be with you, you can uninvite him to be with you. You can kick him out through impenitence or unbelief. It is, you're not once saved, always saved. That is not in the Bible. You... Jesus here is very clearly saying that you can have the Holy Spirit at one time and then get rid of Him at another time. You can have the Word of God and then reject it another time. 
The Holy Spirit will not stay against your will if you don't want Him there. If you don't want anything to do with God, then He will leave you alone. Some people just want to be vacant. They want to be their own house. They want to do their own thing. They don't want the Holy Spirit or the Word of God to tell them what to do or be with them. And this house and heart that is clean and swept and empty is now up for the taking. Now what? Verse 26 says, Then it goes, that unclean spirit goes, and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and they dwell there. And then Jesus says these chilling, haunting words. He says, And the last state of that person is worse than the first. Well, what's worse than having an unclean spirit? Well, having eight of them. (laughs) Having more. Being in a worse condition. The the main point is this, and this this is the whole point of this text, or these verses, that ex-Christians, as Christians who believe for a time and fall away, former Christians, are worse than before. Former Christians are worse than outright pagans who have never been Christian in their life. Former, in fact, even apply this to countries. Former Christian countries are worse than countries that were never Christian to begin with. Look at the atrocities that that, that are done. Compare, I don't know, the, the European countries to the countries in Africa. Yes, they're both godless. But what they're doing in Europe is awful. It's, 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 it's unspeakable. <clears throat> I, I want to spend some time on this point because this is very... These words should sink down into our heart and really impale our soul here. Because some of the worst people we'll meet are not lifelong pagans. They're not heathens who've never heard the gospel. But some of the worst people you will meet are those who were Christian and then have fallen away. They are the most antagonistic and angry at the Word of God and, most, and, and hostile to any of the Word of God. I'll give you uh, some examples. Those married in the church who had their wedding in the church, blessed by God, and then fall away and stop coming to church those have a higher chance and rate of divorce than those who were never married in the church to begin with. I think it's around some seven, over 70% of a divorce rate of those who are married in the church, leave it and never come back. Fathers who went to church and then fall away and reject the faith have the highest rate of domestic abuse and violence and alcoholism than their counterparts or uh, uh, husbands and fathers um, who were never brought up in the church, who never believed. I'm not saying that the the heathens don't commit these sins, but that these sins are committed even greater by those who fall away from the word than those who have never believed it to begin with. Christians who went to church and fall away have at the highest rate debased minds 
perform perverted acts and shameful deeds and make up the vast majority of what is called, what the world calls the LGBTQ. Uh, There are more ex-Christians in that group than those who have never believed. Also, regarding sexual sins, the sin of uh, pornography, ex-Christians, those who were brought up in the church and fall away, watch pornography 500% more than those who were not brought up in the church. And significantly more than those who do go to church. Half a million women who murder and slaughter their own baby in the womb uh, used to go to church. Half a million of them were Christians or nominally Christians. The most militant and outspoken and angry atheists were those who were one time brought up in the church, baptized in the church, confirmed in the church, and then have fallen away and have written the most vile and vitriolic, filthy sort of stuff that you can read. Those most hostile to God's words are not those who have never heard it, but those who have heard it and walked away and gotten rid of it. That's that's simply the reality. That's just how it is. And it's not my opinion either. And I'm not just kind of forcing this into the text to write a sermon about this because I thought it would be a good idea. Jesus plainly says the last state of that person is worse than the first. And this is taught elsewhere in the scriptures even more clearly. It's expounded upon. Listen, 2 Peter chapter 2. Listen very carefully. He says, If after they, the Christian, if the Christians, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy word delivered to them. I'm I'm just going to read that again. It would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy word delivered to them. Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its own vomit. And the pig, after washing herself, returns to the mud. This is 2 Peter chapter 2. You can look it up and read it yourself. What this means, this is not just some theoretical point or something that we just have in mind and uh, an interesting theological thing. This, this affects our practice in the church and how things are done in the church and how you should do things in your life. Uh, this is what we learn and, and practice from this. What this means for me as a pastor, this very text, it means that I have to be, as a pastor, very very careful about who I baptize, who I uh, allow to be married, and who I commune and confirm in the church. Regarding baptism, I have had to turn people away from having their child baptized in the church. I know it sounds awful, and strict and tyrannical and unloving 
or whatever other name uh, people come up with. But I want you to listen carefully. I've had to turn away families from wanting their baby to be baptized. And it is not that I turn them away because they are too sinful or because they are different or they are unworthy, but I have had to turn them away because they had no intention of bringing that child back to church after that baptism. None whatsoever. For them, the baptism was a photo opportunity. It was uh, something to post on Facebook or Instagram, a, a party or another celebration, a thing to get people together and rejoice. Or a lot of the times it's because, well, you know, mom and dad are bothering me. They're bugging me to get the baby baptized, so I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Are you going to come back to church? No. Are you interested in the church and the Word of God? Anything else besides this one day? No. All right. They have no desire. For this reason, I will not baptize babies. Uh, it, it, I, I've, I've had to say this. I will not baptize your baby because I don't, it's not because I don't want to. God knows that I want to. But I won't because if I do, while knowing that you're not going to bring this baby back, I will have blood on my hands. And I will be complicit in ruining this child's life and making it worse than it would have been if he had never been baptized to begin with. It is better, I have to tell these families, it is better if you don't baptize the baby if this is your intention. You will be better off in the long run. Trust me, that's what the Word of God says. Rather than if you were to baptize this baby, have the Holy Spirit dwell in this child, and then keep him away from the Word of God. In other words, I have no, absolutely no intention to baptize the child of parents who never intend to bring that child back. In the same way, one of the worst things you could do is to have your child confirmed in the faith and then not bring them back. Or to equate your confirmation with graduation. Uh, I know it's cliche, but it's, it's a problem. Uh, that you've done what you need to do, you've checked off all of the boxes, you've, you know everything you need to know, and now you're free. Just go and do whatever you want. You will make them worse people and have a worse life and be hostile to God, and it will be nearly impossible for them to hear the Word of God or be converted later in their life. It is better just don't do it. Save your time. The same for marriages and weddings. Many have said to me, many of the construction workers and builders after they built this sanctuary have said to me something like, look, look, Pastor, you're going to have a lot of weddings here. You're going to have a lot of people from the community wanting to knock down the doors and have their weddings here and do, have all these celebrations here. And I said, yes, that may be the case, but it won't happen. Because why would we ask God to bless the union of those who have no intention to remain? Why stand before his altar, ask for his blessing, have the Holy Spirit bless and solemnize this marriage, this union between a husband and wife, which is the most beautiful thing in the world. Have the Lord there present and speak his word upon this and then have nothing to do with the Lord after that. Why? Why would you, why would you do that? Well, then just don't do it at all. The same thing happens, I mean, what this would be, is, is breaking the second commandment, is taking the name of the Lord your God in vain, is misusing the name of God for an event. And it is not an event. 
This is life. The same goes for communion. This is why we practice close, one of the reasons we practice closed communion. Some will walk in, have no intention of keeping God's word, and yet demand to have the holy body and blood of Christ given to them. And they have no intention to return the next Sunday, or the one after that, or the one after that. In fact, I have to brace myself and the whole congregation too. Every Easter Sunday, this happens. Every Easter Sunday, people will come out of tradition. They will come for nostalgia, uh, for the sake of family. They will come for one Sunday, one Sunday, one hour out of an entire year with absolutely no intention to come back until next year. To come that Sunday, and then they want nothing to do with the church the very following Sunday. And I have to be so clear here. I will not commune these people. Because I don't want blood on my hands. It is better for them to hear God's judgment now, today, rather than to be surprised by it on the last day. And for them to say, nobody told me. Jesus says this, he says, whoever is not with me is against me. There is no neutral, there's no blank slate, there's no vacant house. If there's a vacant house, it's very, very short that that time. There's no vacant heart. If you're not here with Jesus in church, then you are then what? Against him. We're not talking about shut-ins or those who are incapable of coming, but those who are capable of coming and unwilling to come, unwilling to hear the word of God. This is why Jesus ends this saying. He ends it with these words. He says, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. If you take the opposite, well, what? Those who hear the word of God and don't keep it are not blessed. They're cursed. There's a a huge problem here. By the way, when Jesus says this, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it, the word keep there is not obey. I know some translations put that down. That's not the word. And people hear this and they think, keep, obey. Okay, I just, I just got to, they become legalists and they say, I got to follow all these rules or whatever. No, the word there, keep, means to hold and agree or believe. The, the best translation is to guard. So that you hear the word of God and then you hold on to it. You guard it with all of your might. You, you don't let it go. Like, like a pit bull uh, biting something. The, the Greek word there in, um, is phulaso for keep. It's found in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, when it talks about the shepherds who were keeping their flock. They were guarding their flock. They weren't obeying the sheep. They were guarding the sheep, taking care of them. If you do this, then you are blessed and you are safe. If you, do, if you hear the word of God and it goes into your heart and you hold on to it, then you are blessed. And the Lord says, and you are safe. You're safe from those unclean spirits coming back and wreaking havoc on your life. Because if you have the Lord's word, you have the Lord himself. If you have the holy word of God, then you have the Holy Spirit of God who is with you. So my exhortation to you this day is this, to take these words to heart. If you have been skipping church, then stop. That's it. If you've made excuses for pet sins, 
Stop. And I urge you, because it is dangerous. You, you know, Jesus doesn't take money all that seriously, or government all that seriously, or wars all that seriously. But he does take false doctrine and demons and unbelief very seriously. He's, he warns about that more than anything, more than he does the government, more than he does about money or diseases or sicknesses. He warns you about these sort of things, the things that matter, the things, things that are real. So with this being said, repent and return unto the Lord and receive his forgiveness and his Holy Spirit. For you here today, you are here now. So stay here. Keep coming back. Remain here. You are with God and God is with you. He occupies you now with his word. He defends you. He is with you. If you came this morning with an unclean spirit, with some sin that you keep going, that keeps haunting you, coming back to you, nagging you over and over again, that you cannot shake or get rid of, that, that is going on and on again, it, whether it's adultery or lust or anger or discontentment or bitterness or rage or unhappiness or envy or slander, whatever it is, whatever has a stronghold on you, know here this day that Christ is stronger, that Christ is stronger and he takes place in your heart once again this very day in these words. With his very word, he comes and dwells with you and casts far away from you all of your sin and separates it from you as far as the east is from the west takes all unclean spirits and casts them out. In his weakness, our Lord conquered the devil. In his bitter suffering and death on the cross, he overthrew every single demon and unclean spirit, and they have no power over you because they have no power over him. And as long as he is with you, you have power over them. Christ kicked out the devil and the spirit once and he can do it again and again and again and again. So you keep coming back to his house, to the Lord's house. You remember your baptism. You receive communion. You hear the word of God and you keep it. Dwell with God. Dwell with the one here in his home. The one who dwells with you. The one who gave himself up for you. For your sake and your salvation. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.